All right. Well, welcome to the Outsider Walls podcast. I wanted to introduce you to a friend of mine. Uh, this is Wesley Town. Wesley is a pastor um, in Davis. Uh, he is a campus pastor at Bayside Davis in uh, California. It's outside the Bay Area, right? You're saying it's between Sacramento and San Francisco? Is that yep. about where it kind is? Kind of split in the middle. Okay. And you've, and you've only been there for, this is a weird time for you because you've only been there for like right before the lockdown (laughs) it's like everything locks down and then you're the pastor there trying to trying to pastor people Um, welcome to your new job (laughs) yeah yeah this is going to be great you're going to have a ton of relationships and then everything just goes goes down and did they did they extended the lockdown right like through is it july or something like it was in we don't know it's pretty confusing now the original was May 31st. Well, before that, it was another day, but now it's May 31st, and we have no idea what the plan is. It's all muddled and confusing at this point. <laughs> As it, hey, hey, that's pastoral ministry. If it's not this, it'd be something else at some point. So, um, Wesley actually uh, started a church in Oregon. How many years ago was that that you, that you 2008. 2008. Started a church at 26 years old. At 26 years old, just how that everybody draws it up, right? Um, but man, that but but it, it blew up. That's it's Ecclesia in Eugene, um, and uh, still running, still going there. Um, but you had to move down to California. Um, what maybe two years ago, three years yeah, ago, 2018, so late summer 2018. Okay, so it's ten ten years that you were the lead pastor there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to make a connection, and I want to make sure everybody hears, hears this um, fr- from me, we've benefited at Anchor Church from Ecclesia in a number of different ways. Um, it was really, I think one of the main ones is just their intentionality on uh, excellence, like h- how to do things well create- creatively, the create- creative aspect of how they did that. I remember thinking about church planting and just feeling like, man, there's, there's no way that I want to plant a church if it's going to be crummy. Cause I just feel like that, especially where we live in Gilbert, it's like, we can't do that. And, and looking at face or um, Instagram stalking Ecclesia <laughs> really in a lot of ways, um, just, uh, just benefited from Wesley, from your, uh, intentionality there and just thought, you know, if they're in a meeting in a school and they're doing it really well, I love all your Instagram stuff. It's just creative. And I thought we should, we can emulate this. So we've borrowed, borrowed quote unquote um, a number of things that you've done just because it's been, it was really good. So thanks for our church has benefited from you, from you and your leadership, even though maybe they don't, they don't know it. So thanks for, thanks thanks for how you're thinking through that kind of stuff. Yeah. Meeting in the school wasn't our intention. We just outgrew most of the buildings in our city within the first couple of years because our church grew so fast and then we got, we became a multi-campus church uh, within the first three and a half, four years and had a couple thousand people. It was crazy. And we just couldn't find a building. We didn't have the budget for it with a bunch of college students. So <laughs> we had to make it work. Yeah, man. Yeah. Well, you did a good job. I mean, I mean, my wife and I, my wife and I were in Eugene and went and went to Ecclesia for a Sunday after is after you left, but we were just impressed. We're like, this is because we're th- you know, we're thinking about what we were going to do. And it was like, this is great. It was just a really, really well done. So thanks for, awesome. thanks for all you're doing there. And your wife's name's Kara. Is that correct? Kara, yeah. And you have a chihuahua named Lucy that you yes. love. She is the best. She's a part chihuahua, part minpin, part dachshund, five pounds. Little Lucy is our go-to. 
<laughs> yeah. You, if you go on, if you see your, uh, your Instagram stuff, you got Lucy everywhere. So yeah, I love it. I love it. It's awesome. Um, well, I, I wanted to have you on and I hope that everybody's going to benefit from this because you have a, a podcast called better days, um, that deals with just ha- helping people think through mental health. Um, tell me, give me some reasons why you decided to start the better days podcast and, um, and just your, your thoughts on it in general, what, how has it been helpful people, you know, how you've been, how you've been thinking about it. Yeah. Um, better days is a podcast about mental health and suffering and what it means to be human and follow Jesus and kind of the storyline behind why I started my podcast in two late, almost 2019, late 2018, uh, in my closet, <laughs> which is so always amazing. You, Perfect. you know, where podcasts are being recorded and stuff in my closet, um, was because just the story of my life, my wife's life, we've experienced a lot of suffering and we both dealt with mental health challenges. Mine, severe anxiety, her anxiety and depression. She has, um, a major spine condition. She's had multiple surgeries on her spine from two uh, serious car accidents. She was almost paralyzed uh, when we began to to date and and, uh, had to kind of make her way back to some sense of normalcy through, you know, spine surgery and rehabilitation. Um, But then in 2013, five years into our church plant, she got in another car accident, reshaped our life, we went on to kind of next six years in and out of the hospital, surgeries, new diagnoses uh, with um, a major neurological condition based on uh, brain injury. And so we've dealt with immense pain, suffering, loss, um, just the emotions behind suffering, especially long-term chronic. Uh, you don't see like a finality or an you know, some sort of solving it in sight. Um, but this is kind of our life. And so at the same point in 2013, when she got in that car accident, I was exhausted from playing this church that grew really fast, was dealing with uh, pretty severe anxiety for probably started two years into it. I, I dealt with anxiety since uh, I think college, graduate school, um, I'm a really high achiever, also a perfectionist, and uh, I push myself too hard sometimes, which creates stress physiologically, which, you know, over time, if you don't uh, recover from that and you continue in that state, it really wears you down. So I was at that point, 2013, uh, having panic attacks, blacking out when I was teaching on Sundays. And um, Mm. yeah, so I, I felt like after that point, 2013, I went on my own exploration of, of the church and how we deal with mental health and suffering, started teaching on it whenever I would travel outside of Ecclesia and people kept saying, hey, we, we think you need to write a book or we think you need to keep talking about this stuff. I was like, oh, okay, I'm just kind of feel, figuring it out myself, so I'm just sharing it everywhere. And uh, th- that's led to a lot of opportunities to talk about it, um, uh, invites to write books, and I haven't written it yet, but I've been working on it. And uh, also, we launched Better Days, which started with a podcast, a few listeners. I thought I was terrible at it and has grown to uh, um, just over a thousand cities, 50, almost 60 countries, like just blown blown away by the, the need. You know, I think the need in Christianity to think through these issues in a theological and uh, physiological way. So, yeah. 
That's good, man. Well, I know that I've talked to people, I've had a few people that have dealt with um, anxiety, chronic anxiety, just that, that fear, you know, just, uh, just dealing with some of those things that I've pointed to the podcast and um, found it helpful. Actually, one of the things somebody said to me when I, um, when I had them listen to it, um, a few episodes in, I think they, they, I asked them, Hey, has it been helpful? And they said, Yes, because they could tell that you're writing from a um, from a from a perspective of someone who's walked through it. Like it's different if you if it's different if you've never dealt with anxiety or you know mental health issues like that, and then you write about it from somebody that doesn't have the perspective. But I think that somebody that's walked through it can tell, hey, what you're describing is exactly what I'm feeling like, and mm. it's really helpful to have hope in it or to feel like okay, I'm not crazy or I'm this is not abnormal. Um, and so anyway, I, I think it's, it is helpful and I'd love to read the book when you, when you write it, how far yeah, along are you, how far along are you on the book? Well, I've developed most of the content, um, over the last year and a half. So now it's phasing it all, you know, fusing it all together and, you know, really, really writing it out. So, but I've written a lot of st stuff over the last couple of years and, um, yeah, now I, now I got to figure out if I want. There's a, there's a publisher that's uh, for the last six years asked me to to write, and uh, I'm trying to figure out if I want to do that or self publish it because I think we have a platform already, um, and you know we want to grow that. So I, I'm not sure how we're going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, either way, man, I'm looking forward to that. I think that this is a really needed. It's one of those areas in the church that I think seems to be either um, you don't, you don't think about uh, mental health from a, even in a, you know, counseling stand, uh, yeah, um, licensed counseling standpoint, like, eh, we don't need to think about that because we have the Bible um, or let's throw out the Bible and just go with this other route. But I think that there's gotta be in some ways there can be a marrying of the two or, or at least a, an understanding of both that comes together and we can think biblically about it and even and have the you know have the discussion and then and then walk through this in a way that's going to serve people you know especially as pastors but even if even people that are that are walking through it i'd love to hear your thoughts on how you know there's some people let's just say somebody goes i don't know how to think through clinical counseling i don't know how to think through mental health because i you know i've been told the bible is all that i need on which the bible the bible is all we need for, for so many things but the Bible is not prescriptive on so many things as well. It doesn't, you know, there's, there's a lot of gray. So how would you help somebody that's walking through, how do you marry those two things, those two worlds? How do you marry that? How have you thought through that? And how would you help somebody think through that category? Yeah, such a good question. I think there's a lot of negative stereotypes, right? That's what a stigma is um, about mental health within the church, especially in the West. And I think that's part of, my goal is to deconstruct a lot of those false views and ideas uh, theologically. You know, I have a couple of masters in theological, biblical exegesis, uh, and then religion, and also uh, done some work in counseling. I'm starting a third master's in counseling focused on trauma and grief. And um, yeah, I, I feel like what we've done by placing negative stereotypes in the church around human issues, human realities, like a mental health challenge 
is um, we have turned people away and shut people off and closed people up from finding healing and hope within the church because we have a very um, weak theology around anthropology, which is the study of what it means to be human. And mental health is not anything you know, disconnected from theology. Mental health is our well-being psychologically. So think of the life of the mind, emotionally, what I feel, these feelings that God has wired into me, uh, socially, our relationships and our relationship dynamics, uh, and then spiritually. You know, I think, I think all four of those facets of mental health are really important, and they're four key facets of what it means to be human. That's good theology right there, because God created all four of those. In addition to that, we're embodied beings. So God didn't create us just with this immaterial nature. He created us with, the, with a body. And what is immaterial, maybe our thoughts or our feelings um, or our capacity to worship also is connected to our body. So I think what we've done in the West is we've disassociated like certain elements of being human or we've made some inferior. Um, but God created us as multifaceted beings and every part of what it means to be human works together in unison. Um, they're into, we're integrated beings. And so every part of mental health is God's creation. And I think what we need to get back to in the church is this understanding that uh, mental health is actually something that God designed. Um, and right. we need to understand what it means to be a multifaceted and integrated being, what it means to be human. Um, and none of these parts are an island, right? Uh, yeah. So I think that a great example of that is like, okay, just like being a human, the things that I feel, the things that I touch, the things that I taste, the things that I see, the things that I hear actually influence my thinking and emotions. Another, yes. another idea behind this is, you know, we talk a lot about in Christianity, how we think, like our thought life, patterns of thinking. Patterns of thinking have a profound effect on our emotions, but also our body physiologically. They can create stress, anxiety, uh, so on and so forth. So I think that getting back to that idea is really important because it is biblical, theological, woven into the creation story in Genesis chapter one and chapter two. Yeah. And I, I love to tell people this, you can love Jesus and struggle with a mental health condition uh, because ment mental health conditions were born out of the fall. So all of these facets that God created, they now, because we don't live in Genesis 1 and 2 reality, we live in a Genesis 3 world, um, all, all, all of us feel different facets of um, kind of the brokenness of creation. And some people, they feel it in their brains, or some people feel it in their bodies, some people feel it in their relationships. So all of us are going to have human struggles on this earth, but you can love Jesus at the same time. Yeah, that's good. I think that is good because I think sometimes people can feel like um, if I'm dealing with an, an anxious situation, let's like take for example, um, if I'm about to get hit by a bus, I'm going to feel fear and I'm going to, mm -hmm. there, you know, if I know something's coming, there's going to be anxiety. I, you know, there's so many thoughts that, hey, anxiety is always a sin. Or like, you know, just like we can relate, we can bring those things together. And it doesn't mean that it's, it's never not like sometimes, sometimes you can deal with that. And maybe, maybe it is, but how would you, how would you help somebody that's dealing with that struggle? Maybe even just shame or guilt of feeling like, man, why am I struggling with 
um, anxiety, you know, and, and trying to, trying to get over that from a guilt shame standpoint, but walk through it the- theologically. How would you help somebody with that? Yeah. I think it's important that people are informed. I think when people are misinformed, they get into cycles of guilt uh, and they feel heavy when they have these natural, normal human feelings. So the Bible says, do not fear a lot, but you got to look at the context around that. God never says that feeling fear is wrong. Um, And God never says that feeling anxiety is wrong. In fact, it's impossible not to feel fear or anxiety around certain situations. We've been wired with a response um, physiologically to uh, fear, to dangerous situations, um, that, that God has wired a protective system in. We call it the fight, flight, or freeze response. But actually, it's interesting. Um, Bessel van der Kolk, who is kind of the leading expert, uh, maybe foremost expert in the world on trauma, teaches how um, when we go through traumatic situations in life, it actually, trauma and grief embeds itself in our bodies and our brains. And kind of the physiological nature of what happens. So let's say like you're about to get hit by a bus or one day I was in San Diego and I was filling up my gas tank next to the airport and all of a sudden, uh, like four cop cars pull over a black BMW and the cops got out with their guns. Like they took out their guns, like they took their guts out. And I was like, I ducked into my car. I felt all kinds of fear, anxiety. That's normal. It's impossible not to feel that. Right. Let, me, let me give you a quote from Bezel van der Kolk about um, how our brain actually functions around this stuff. The emotional brain initiates pre-programmed escape plans like the fight or flight responses. These muscular and physiological reactions are automatic, set in motion without any thought or planning on our part, leaving our conscious, rational capacities to catch up later, often well after the threat is over. So what, what Bessel van der Kolk is saying as a brain scientist and an a expert in trauma is that our brain actually responds before we can even think about it and process it, interpret it, and then respond to it um, kind of in a, a rational way. So feeling these feelings is normal. It's how we process them and how we then respond when we're able to that is key. Yeah, that's good. And I think that, I, I think that um, where people, where it gets to be real sticky and, and I don't know if, I don't know if it is sticky. I think it feels sticky is when people start to go down roads. I think we're all susceptible. This is where the guilt comes in of like, I'm not trusting the Lord. So like, okay, I'm still dealing with fear or whatever. I'm dealing with this issue and it just must mean that I am not trusting God here because if I did trust God, I wouldn't feel this. Um, and, and that, and I think that's, that's hard. I mean, that's, that's the complexity of the human, um, brain, I think, but also just the human experience. And like you said, living in a Genesis three world, um, it's not Genesis one. That'd be great if it was Genesis one. Um, but it's not, um, it's great. We're grateful that we, we are, we live, it's grateful that we live post, um, resurrection. So there's resurrection power. We, we, experience that we know jesus is the king of the universe and we can trust him for those things it doesn't mean that he's that every single aspect of my brain is wired right right i mean i i still deal with kinds of things would you would you agree with that yeah i think we live in the in-between right we're 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 in this parentheses of time where 
already so much redemption and healing and, and transformation is taking place, but we're still awaiting Romans chapter eight. Paul's like, I groan anticipating the redemption of my, our bodies. Like we're groaning in this in-between yeah. state. That's our reality. It's part, it's just being human in a broken yeah. space. And I think, uh, so much of what you're saying is really, really good. And I think we give oversimplified answers to complex problems. So you're going to feel these feelings, right? You just need to learn how to respond to them, how to think them through, um, how to process them in a healthy way. Like we, one, um, clinical psychologist who I work with to, to do some, you know, talks and, and uh, you know, things like that, video series and things. She said, we feel up to 34,000 emotions. That's complex, right? Like that is complex. We're, gonna, yeah. we're feeling a lot of feelings. So it's not yeah. a sin to feel feelings. And, right. uh, but we do want to respond to them in a healthy way. Yeah. Right. Which matters in the long run. Yeah, it does. I, one, one specific thing I'd love you to just to address that I think could help us think through this a little bit, or at least peel the onion back a little bit more. Back in that, uh, you wrote um, on, your, on your website, which is wesleytown.com, right? And, we'll, mm -hmm. and we'll, we'll try and let people know where to find that. But back in March 2019, you wrote a, um, a journal article about anxiety. And one of the things that you said in there, and this is a quote, you said, um, you know, which, which is what you just said. Many of the teachings I have heard on anxiety lack context and broader biblical research. Moreover, these teachings are often overly simplistic in nature. And you define that by one example from Philippians 4, which I think is, is really good. I'd love for you just to pull, pull on this string a little bit more. But you mentioned, um, you know, and Philippians 4 is that, the, the verse that, um, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding of God, our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You, but you said the questions that should come from this text or that you've asked is, is every feeling of anxiety bad? Is the emotion of anxiety a sin? Sh should I ever feel concerned or scared? Uh, what should I do in situations when anxiety suddenly arises in me beyond my control? Is prayer the cure-all for all forms of anxiety? If I pray more, will God really erase all the feelings of anxiety in me and and all of those you know i think that i think that how we answer some of those questions is going to help us process theologically how to what because it does come down to if i just pray that means i should not feel these things if we there's one reading of philippians 4 if i you know, if I pray with thanksgiving, rejoicing always, um, you know, I should not feel this. And there should just be a peace that surpasses understanding. And I should be at that spot. Therefore, if I'm not there, man, something's wrong with me. It adds to the almost adds to the anxiety or the fear or the frustration. But if we could read that, we could read that section of scripture in a, in a, um, in a way that the application isn't any different. We're like, yeah, the Lord is everything. But, but maybe how we think through the prayer and what that prayer does and how we, how we land on the other side of that, it could change everything in terms of how somebody walks out of that and doesn't feel odd or mm -hmm. ungodly. Um, so help, help me like people that are going to listen to this. I think some of them are going to be dealing with anxiety. Help me with that. Help me with that section. Help me with yeah. thinking through some of the answers to those questions. So let's start with that passage and then I'll work my way outside of it. I think, when we talk about anxiety in church, we tend to talk about it within the framework of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. But we often don't talk about it within its context, just the immediate context of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And then when, one of the things you learn as a Christian who teaches the Bible is 
you never make a doctrine out of one verse or two verses in one passage. You've got to look outside the scope in the book. You've got to look at, you know, the New Testament, Old Testament. And I think a lot of the times when we, we talk about anxiety, we've done a really poor job inside of Christianity. And that's not to, you know, put any negative uh, viewpoint on anybody, but we just haven't done a good job of, of really like doing the research. And so Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is interesting because the same guy who wrote, do not be anxious about anything in chapter two, Paul wrote that I'm anxious. Um, I'm sending one of my co-workers to you so that my, I may be less anxious. And then that same guy, Paul, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he said that he, same term, uh, that he had anxiety every single day for the churches. He was carrying a heaviness, a burden, an anxiety for the churches that he had planted and that he was pastoring because he pastored remotely quite a bit as he traveled and started new churches and went to different regions. And so he carried anxiety every single day, which is intriguing, right? So uh, you even take it outside of that scope, outside the, the New Testament, um, in the Old Testament, you see anxiety, like, for example, Hannah, uh, she's praying, she couldn't, you know, she, she couldn't get pregnant, and there was a lot of social stigma around that. She was going through a personal crisis, trauma, and um, she, she was accused of being drunk in prayer, but she's like, I'm not, I'm not drunk. I haven't drinking anything. Like, I'm, I'm speaking out of the vexation of my soul and my great anxiety. So we see anxiety hmm. around the idea of, like, trauma or personal crisis, uh, and in that day, um, that was a major social stigma. So she had a lot of stress around that reality and a lot of grief. And so what, what I've learned is that Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the term there actually is referring to our thought life, obsessive concerns. Um, so when we're obsessively worrying or, 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 or concerned about something, uh, there's, a, there's a healthy concern because that's what Paul's talking about in chapter 2 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when he's talking about his daily anxieties. The term literally just means concern. So when he says, do not be anxious about anything in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, he's talking about the mind. So we got to make sure we understand the context. And he's talking about obsessive concerns. In other words, we shouldn't be living um, paralyzed in the present because we have these obsessive concerns about the future, obsessive fears about the future. That's really the context of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And so when we say to somebody, you should never feel anxious um, because of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We need to redefine that. And mm. we also need to be careful how we communicate that because anxiety in the clinical sense is much broader. Um, a person can feel anxiety just because of a situation, right? That's not a sin. Um, a dangerous situation. A person can feel anxiety because of trauma. Uh, they've been through trauma. Trauma and trauma actually rewires the brain and it beds itself in the body. And so th that person needs really good trauma counseling. They need, they need a relational home to process what they went through so yes. that they can find healing and talk to God about it. Right. Uh, Cause God is present and loves the brokenhearted uh, Psalm 34, 18. Um, you can also have anxiety because of a biological malfunction uh, in, yep. with your glandular system, with your brain. Um, a lot of women don't know this, but you know, when you have a, a major fluctuation of hormones, that actually creates anxiety. And there's no sin in that. That's just right. a part of the brokenness of living on planet Earth. And so I think we need to be really careful about how we use Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Because, yes, we want to pray about everything in all of those contexts. But 
it Philippians 4, 6, and 7 is not a pill to swallow where every person in every anxious context is going to be healed immediately. If we say that to somebody who's been through trauma or experiencing trauma at the moment, and they go home and try to do that, like, oh, I'm never supposed to feel anxious. I need to pray. I need to trust God. And then all of a sudden, they do that week after week, year after year. They're going to start to feel spiritually inferior and discouraged, like God isn't showing up. God must not care about me. God must not Hmm. love me. Well, they're feeling that way because we've misapplied that text. Yes. And that's our fault, not their fault, right? Right. So we need to do a better job of helping people spiritually by giving them informed answers around these complex human issues. Yeah. Man, that's so good. I, I feel like those are things we're, we're trying really hard to understand, and which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on here, because I think that's so helpful. The, the theological, like the exegesis of texts and bringing it out into a way that's going to that's gonna help us think through it in a way that's going to be, uh, uh, I don't want to say redemptive, but in some ways redemptive um, for somebody that deals with that, um, I think is so, it's the church uh, I think is missing the boat on it. I, I think that the church largely, and um, you know, we, I think this is an area we need to grow in. Um, it's really, it's really a loving of people. It's a, it's a care for our, our brothers and sisters. You know, we, we think about Romans, you know, we want to weep with those who weep. And yes. so I think oftentimes, sometimes the church can um, crush those that weep um, or, or push them aside because they're not thinking similarly. And just like, we want to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Let's do it as best as we possibly can. And I think this is one area where we can just grow. And, and as a pastor, I want to make sure I'm growing here and we're, we're leading our church because I want, I want the church to be a safe place for people that have had trauma or that do deal with these things. I want, you know, I want our church to, to be a place where someone can come in and find um, a shoulder to cry on and not judgment immediately, which I think, I think oftentimes, you know, unfortunately, that can, that can be the case. Not, not all the time, but I, I think that historically, that's just an area that we just need to continue to grow. And it's like, I would say with what Paul says, I think it's the, the Colossians, like, or the Thessalonians. Yeah. Uh, you guys are doing, you guys are growing here, but excel still more, like keep pressing in, keep, keep loving people and do that as best as you, as you possibly can, which actually leads me to, to, to my last kind of question for you. Um, one of the things that you've said, I've heard you say it a number of times, that I just think is, is a, a phrase that we need to get stuck in our, our minds, I'd love for you to ex- expand upon it, is that it's okay not being okay. Um, we, we just need to understand that, hey, sometimes we're not okay. Um, and it's okay, it's okay if, that's the, if that's the case. Um, just expect, where did, you, how, where did you come up with that phrase? Um, how do you think about it? How should we apply it? How should we apply that? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a popular phrase outside the church um because human beings realize that life is hard right if we if we live in a world that has um walked away from god's original design and attention we're going to feel some pretty hard things we're going to experience some pretty hard things and challenges and god you know we read we read things like james chapter one where it says you know to consider all joy when you face trials of many kinds knowing that you know, the, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, perseverance, so on and so forth. Um, and we think, oh, you know, like when we face trials and troubles and struggles and pain and suffering in life, we're supposed to be happy. That's what God's teaching us. Well, no, he's not teaching that. He's saying consider all joy because in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, God is present and working. 
right? God is, God is redemptive, even in the midst of our hardship. So I think he's not, you know, we don't have to be held happy about the sufferings and challenges of life. Um, it's okay not to be okay. For example, the Psalms of, of lament, that's one third of the Psalms. Psalms of lament are one third yes. of the way that, that God's people worshiped God in ancient times. And you're like, what's a lament? A lament was an honest, emotional dialogue with God about the brokenness and struggles and pain and suffering that we experience in this world. And people were really honest with God. They challenged him. They cried out. They shared their frustrations and they emoted, right? Emotions in our context are always viewed as a negative. Like we think rational is better than emotional. Well, God doesn't say that ever in the Bible. You can't find one place in scripture uh, to prove this idea that, that our emotions are inferior and negative. In fact, they're actually beautiful and wonderful. They were supposed to be designed in a way that functions according to God's design and a part of our worship and a part of our relationships. And so um, God allowed his people to emote in honest ways. And I think it's a beautiful thing um, when Job went through his suffering. Job wasn't happy. Chapter three of Job post all of these like kind of cascading points of suffering in his life, Job actually said, I wish I was never born. I wish I was the product of a miscarriage. That's what Job said literally in the original language. That, that was his language because hmm. he was suffering. I don't, he said, don't ever celebrate my birthday again. I don't want anybody to celebrate my life again because he was so depressed over just really, really tough and widespread suffering that most of us will never experience. And then Jesus, right? Like we think of Jesus as like happy, clappy, everything's always good and wonderful. That's how we describe Jesus in the West. But Isaiah describes Jesus in Isaiah 53 verse three as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Right. Like how many of us describe Jesus that way? Like, yes, it's okay not to always feel happy and excited and everything's going great. Like even Jesus was a man of sorrows and equated with grief. And because I have a background in biblical languages, I, I dug into those terms and those terms are referring to mental and emotional pain and anguish, hmm. uh, which then, you know, kind of relates back to the mental health thing, you know, subject. And so I think as Christians, it's okay. Suffering is yeah. hard and painful. Paul says we groan in anticipation for the redemption of our bodies and the renewing of all things. And it's just normal and healthy to be real and human. And I think the more that we do that in the church, the more we invite people in because suffering and mental health challenges is not the minority in our churches, it's the majority. People yeah. just are afraid to open up because we need to open up like a healthy conversation around these uh, realities. Yeah, that's really good. I, um, yeah, I just know that there's, man, people, people need to hear this stuff because I think it's, I think it's just, it's helpful to have, um, a, a category that says, um, Jesus struggled mentally as well. Like, so just even, I mean, the garden of Gethsemane is a good example. Yeah. Yep. Um, difficult season for him, but he's, but he is trusting the Lord, but trusting the Lord doesn't, it's not a switch, right? It's not like, it's not like, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord now. Let's flip the off switch off onto my fear and anxiety or whatever other mental health issue we have. There's no, it's not an on or off switch. I can trust the Lord through it. We just, we just talked through um, a couple Sundays ago, we're going through uh, fruit of the spirit, like how to think through that in this season of 
um, life. So we were, we were talking through um, Jesus uh, calming the storm. And, um, you know, so it, he didn't, I mean, Jesus led them into the sea. So he, he actually is the one that's like, let's do this. Um, and the fear, you know, it's like, it's, he's not going to help us avoid those situations. It's just when we go through them, what's our posture. And I think that it doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. It, it means that it, some of it, I mean, some of it helps us trust, trust him even more because as Agreed. we, as we walk through it, we just recognize, I don't have any hope, but you, it causes us to run to him. And, um, sometimes that's what we need. I think Paul found that out. Um, my guess is a lot of the, a lot of the disciples did, if not all of them at some point found yeah. that out, like what I need is Jesus. Um, and so, you know, the Lord redeems it and he uses it and he'll use it. And, um, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. And it doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that this life, you know, Paul, Paul, um, related this to pastoral ministry sometimes, but, you know, Paul said to live is Christ, but man, to die is better. Like I, to die is gain. Like it, there's something because the longer you live, the more you realize this world stinks, like in a lot of different ways. You know, we, we live here and we're, we live on mission and we want to see people come to know the Lord and we want to help them find hope. But this world is hard. Um, and sometimes it, it is because of, of suffering and pain and um, mental health issues and all of that. And so I think, I think the things that you're saying are so needed and I'm just grateful for it. I'm grateful that you're taking the steps, getting another master's uh, to, to further, to further help us understand it, um, and to walk through it. And I'm just, I'm so thankful that you're willing to take some time here today to talk through it. I'd love to have you, how can we hear more from you? Um, where, where can we go to, to uh, learn more about this, to benefit from your wisdom on it, um, where where can we go? Give us some give us some places that we can search search for you and find you. Yeah, Better Days Podcast is on all digital platforms. So whether you're on Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever it is, it's pretty easy to find. And um, I just finished a, a season season four about crisis. So like really getting to the anatomy of crisis and how to walk through it in a healthy way how to respond to all the challenges of a crisis. And uh, now I'm preparing for season five. I can't tell you what it is because it's kind of <laughs> in the cooker and okay. uh, it's going to be awesome. But awesome. yeah. And then I'm, I'm, I just started a series for leaders on suffering that I'm writing a 10 part series uh, on my website, wesleytown.com about like what it's like to suffer as a leader and how hmm. to like walk through that because oh, man, that's so it, it brings just, an added challenge. Leadership is already complex and hard. So yeah. then how do you add personal or family suffering into that mm. mix? I've lived it. So um, I, I'm doing a 10 part series on that. Uh, just short, short little uh, journal entries on my website, wesleytown.com. And then uh, Better Days is about to launch a bunch of new stuff this year. We're, we're getting ready to launch a website and uh, we're going to have a video series, some written materials for the church. And hopefully I get that book finished in the next year. Yeah, for sure, man. For sure. Well, I, I am, um, I hope this is helpful. I'm sure I, it's helpful for me to process through it and think through it. You've been helpful for me. Your podcast has been helpful. Um, so I'm just grateful that you take some time, man, and talk with me about this. I'm sure we'll be in touch again. Um, we'll, we'll link, we'll link the, um, your website and better days podcast in the description. Uh, cool. Thanks below. so much. 
Yeah. And um, let us know if there's anything we can do for you, man. We'd love to just continue to, to benefit from what you're saying. And thanks for pastoring in a pandemic. And uh, yes. <laughs> you, can't, you can't get to know people face to face. But, um, but, you know, I think one of the things, one last thing, this uh, podcast um, is going to be helpful for people in this season, I think, because, man, mm -hmm. um, it's hard. Like, this is hard. And there's, there's going to be anxiety and fear. And um, suicide rates, I think, are up. And so, I, you yes. know, I just, uh, I just think that we just need to process through this and, and as a church come alongside. So thanks, man. I appreciate you taking some time Thank with you. us today. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. We'll talk again. See you, man. Cool. Thanks Later. for having me. Yeah, so man. great chatting right. with you. Okay. Great chat with you too. Bye. All right. Bye.